You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Hey, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Bert. I'm one of the pastors here sometimes. And um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I've been gone on sabbatical for about uh, a month, month and a half, something like that. So before we get on really quick, can we just give it up for everybody who filled in that gap and pitched in our pastorals team, our volunteers, the other pastors who came in? Man, they crushed it. It's, it's a really, really like refreshing feeling to know that we are a body together and to be able to just to come back and pick up right where I left off and like nothing was on fire. Like everybody just nailed it. It was great. Um, one other thing too, I've just been thinking about like, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Like if you started coming to our church in the last month, I'm really sorry if I'm the guy that ruins it for you, okay? Like, like I've just been thinking about that. Like, could you imagine, like, if you went to a church, and you're like, oh, these are my people. This is great. And then the senior pastor gets up, and you're like, uh, Like, the, the other people are great, so just stick around. Anyway, so, look, we're beginning a brand-new series called uh, The Book of Revelation, which is on the book of Revelation. And so if you have a Bible, I would like you to open it up to the book of Revelation. Uh, chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And what I'd like to do... Uh, while you're trying there, I want to set this book up right, because Revelation is one of those books of the Bible where it's incredible. I mean, like, it's powerful. There are all these incredibly, like, relevant things that God has to say to us, but if we misread it, it's the stuff cults are made of, right? Like, like if, if you come to Revelation and you don't understand the book of Revelation, it's very easy to sort of isolate texts and, and sort of uh, mis- like not just misread them, but become an alarmist, become fearful, have nightmares. Uh, and we don't want that for you. Like the, the last thing I would like for any of you is to sort of walk away from our time together in this book, deciding, okay, listen, I need to put on a tinfoil hat and live in the desert. Like, I don't want that for you. So what, so what I'd like to do is just set up the book before we dive into it. So here's just a couple things to understand about Revelation uh, going forward. Number one, number one, reading Revelation will not let you predict when the world is going to end. Now, I need to say that because there are people who, for whatever reason, don't get that, right? I mean, like every now and then there arises a very, very persuasive, uh, you know, leader, speaker, author who goes like, listen, I've decoded Revelation, okay, like, like here's what this means, and so now I can accurately predict, in, and they say in alignment with the scriptures, I can accurately predict that the world will end on September 25th, 2021. That's not a prediction. I'm just, I'm just giving you a date, okay? But that's, that's what they're doing. So like, I know, right? So then they sort of come in and they misread the text. Here's the thing you have to understand. While Revelation absolutely, 100% will talk about the end of the world, it doesn't just talk about the end of the world. Revelation is not just a book about the end. It's also a book about the beginning and the middle. It's a look at the entire sum of human history within the eyes of God. And so, listen, just know that if you're like, okay, well, I think I've read it right, so therefore I can tell, you should just know that the Bible itself contradicts you. In fact, here's what Jesus says about people knowing the end of the world in Matthew 24, 36. He says, but about that day or hour, speaking about the end, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but 
only the Father. So it's so so within the triune Godhead, there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father is the will. The Father is the sender, right? And so He alone knows when the world will end. Jesus, like God, the perfect God, the Son, says, I, "I don't know." And neither do the angels of God, who God sends to speak for Him on the planet, like God sent once. They don't know. So listen, if God, like the perfect eternal Son of God, does not know when the world is going to end, what are the chances that a backwoods self published preacher knows not high not high okay so if, if you ever meet somebody like i figured it out wrong no they haven't no they haven't okay so that's the first thing we need to know about revelation it's not going to let you predict when the world is going to end second thing we need to know is this the goal in reading it is not to entertain ourselves but to know jesus better soak in that for a moment Okay. The goal, as we approach the Word of God, as we open the pages of Scripture, the goal is never for us to know more things. The goal is to be transformed by what we find there. What I would hate, 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 hate for you is for you to share the heart of a Pharisee who knows all this Scripture but is never transformed by it. Like as, as we open Revelation and we see God illustrated in all these ways, the goal isn't to feel smart. The goal is to go deeper in our relationship with the Lord. And you need to know that. Because listen, here's what happens. Um, people get into things. And you're going to discover this. The longer you stick around, if you're new to faith, you're going to discover there are people who, like, for whatever reason, they gravitate in on certain sections of the Bible because it's more entertaining to them. So sometimes you meet people and they're like all about like creation or the flood. And, that, and that's cool. That's fine. Other people, like, what is like revelation is their thing. And so revelation becomes their hobby. It's their source of entertainment, right? So you sit down with them and they use words that don't sound like English. So they'll be like, listen, okay, upon reading revelation, I am an amillennial dispensationalist. And you're like, did you just speak in tongues? What was that, right? Or, you know, like, I, I'm a pre-tribulation rapturist like, like and what happens what happens is that they sort of they sort of begin to isolate res, re, revelation and they get into it the same way people get into sports teams do you know what i'm saying right like you like eagles fans absolutely know what i'm saying um <laughs> welcome to Salakra. josh isn't even in here i can say that so look um so, like, what happens, like, you know, like, they become obsessed with it, it becomes their identity, like, like listen, I'm going to wear the jersey, I'm going to see every game, I'm going to, like, I, I just get the Eagles in my veins, right? Like, some of you, like, you, like, listen, I'm a football, I love football, okay, listen, like, some of you, like, you were watching preseason Atlanta Falcons versus Broncos on Thursday night, just because you're so desperate for football, okay, because you, you need it, because it's your thing. Others of you, like, your thing is, like, you love to go boating, you know, so, like, you're obsessed with the latest boat, and, and you like to have, like, the latest lures, and, and fishing rods, and, I don't know, captain's hats, I don't know what you get when you're into boating but like i assume it's hats that's that's what i would think but okay like that's your thing though right okay because it's, it's it's that niche for you it's that area where it's your area of interest and you define yourself and your enjoyment by it and for some people that's revelation and so the only part of the bible that they study is revelation they study it academically to know things but not to be known not to be transformed by the living Holy Spirit who works on the heart. And so listen, as we go into this book, my goal is not that we feel smarter. That's pride. My goal is that we know Jesus better. Now, all of that said, let's understand, okay, if that's what Revelation is not, if it's not a blueprint for the end of the world, if it's not something that makes me feel great about me, and I pat myself on the back, what is Revelation? Like, if I'm walking away from the book, what are my takeaways? In fact, I want to give this to you up front. Spoiler! 
universe. So, so if if like in all the weirdness that we're gonna see with all the dragons and the and the beasts with all the multiple eyes and horns, and you're like, what does this mean? I'm gonna give you your takeaways from Revelation up front, so that if you tune out, you can zone back in and go, oh, it's about this. And so here's what you need to know about Revelation. Revelation teaches us that God is still in control and to hold on even when it feels like he's not. That's Revelation in a nutshell, the entire book. God, Revelation teaches us that God is still in control and to hold on even when it feels like he's not. And how many of you know there are going to be times where it feels like he's not? The context for the book, let me tell you a little bit about it. So Revelation jumps onto the scene of history at a really unique moment. You know, a lot of us, we have the benefit of 2,000 years of church history, so we know a lot of where the story was going, right? Like we know, like, like we've seen success, we've seen missionaries take the gospel everywhere. Like, I mean, we have lived in an avenue when, when, when there's all this money and power associated with our religion. You see giant buildings, you see influential speakers. But you have to remember that when all this started, the future was very, very uncertain. They were a, a, a group of sort of misfit nobodies who began to, to, to worship Jesus in houses. There was no prestige to Christendom. In fact, if you were going to be a Christian in the first century, and particularly under like the Roman government, it made you kind of an outlaw because you lost your rights as a citizen. If you decide, listen, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to say that Jesus Lord or is Lord, you were committing a kind of treason because you were not recognizing a God recognized by the Romans. And number two, to say that Jesus is Lord infers that Caesar is not. And so you found all these beginning Christians who went through tremendous persecution. And so like the, the Roman government came in and one of the things that they discovered was, hey, it polls really well with our citizens if we kill Christians. They seem to like that. It makes us happy. So, so, you, so you had a, a Roman emperor by the name of Nero, right? And Nero comes in, he commits all these atrocities. Like at one point he accidentally lights the city of Rome on fire and blames Christians just to get himself out of hot water. Like it's bad. Okay. And during Nero's reign, we see the deaths of Peter and Paul within just a couple years of each other. Like, like the Apostle Paul, who wrote more than a third of the New Testament. The Apostle Peter, who Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, and who walked on water when Jesus said he could, okay? These guys are killed by the Romans, okay? Like, so, you know, Peter, and I mean, agonizingly so, Peter is crucified upside down. Paul is beheaded. It's not good. And so you have all these fledgling little Christians and they're looking at this and it's rocking their world because the way that they understood the kingdom of God was Jesus is coming back at any second, so we better be ready. But now time has gone on and good people are suffering bad fates. So like, where's God? Like, to understand like how much Peter and Paul's deaths would have rocked us. Think of it this way. I, just, I can't think of any other influential Christian figures who are on that level. Like, imagine within just a couple of years each other, of each other, both Billy Graham and the Pope were murdered by ISIS. You think that would mess with some people's faith? Yeah. That's where these guys are. And now, as John goes forward, he's, he's an older man, and he is now the last living apostle. Of Jesus' 12, he's the only one left. Every single other apostle has been killed for their faith. But here's the thing you need to know about John. John is the perfect candidate to talk about God's faithfulness and his victory. And to understand that actually even when the world does its worst, God can still be at his best. And the reason he can say that is because of what he has seen and what he has been a witness to. So for instance, John is the only disciple who was actually at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. 
He saw Jesus murdered by the Romans. Oh, but he was also one of the few who walked into the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. And yes, he saw the worst that the Romans could offer, but he also had breakfast with Jesus on a beach after he'd been killed. And so John understood something very, very simply. Okay, even though there's such thing as worldly power and political power, it's not greater than God's power. No, no, no. John has become a witness to the things and the championship and the, and the victory of God. His own life, guys, listen to this. His own life is a testimony to this. So John, when he writes the book of Revelation, here's how he got where he was. And so after Nero comes this, this emperor named uh, Domitian, right? And Domitian says, all right, listen, um, what I'm going to do to increase some more of my favor among my people is I'm going to kill the last apostle, and I'm going to make a spectacle of it. And so he captures John, and he fills, like, this, is what, uh, this is in the Bible, this is church history, he fills a coliseum with, with Roman citizens and people, and they're going to watch the public execution of John. So they decide, listen, let's take him out in a blaze of glory, and they take this giant cauldron, and they fill it with oil. And under the cauldron, they have all this wood, and they begin to burn a fire, and so, the, so that the, the cauldron heats up, and the oil inside starts bubbling, and then the oil starts boiling. And they decide, all right, listen, we're going to dunk John. We're going to deep fry him alive. That's what we're going to do. And this will just show, listen, don't mess with us. And also, it's going to be really entertaining to us because they are very, very desensitized people. This is what we will do. And so they take John, and they bring him to this cauldron of oil, and they immerse him in it. And he doesn't burn. In fact, he stands up and he raises his hands in worship to God. Like, it has no effect on him because God supernaturally delivered him from being boiled alive in oil. And as a result, um, tradition tells us all the people in the Colosseum converted. <laughs> so they're like, okay, um, listen, I was here for that, but whatever God that guy is worshiping is obviously legit. Okay, I'm in, I'm in, right? And so, and so like all these people convert like right there. So now the Romans are faced with a, a problem because they're going, all right, well, listen, if we try to kill the guy, more of our people support him. So what do we do? And so, uh, here's what we'll do. We'll exile him. We'll exile him. We'll take him to an island. We'll throw him there. And then, you know what? He can't talk to anybody. Everything will be fine. And so they exile John to an island called Patmos. And that's where Revelation takes place. That's where John has the visions that he has. That's where the story takes place. That's where John is when he writes Revelation. So that's the context for the book. Okay, the worst that the world can do is not the end of the story. And so in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed, he says, is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And now he gives his introduction. That wasn't it. Now here's the introduction. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace. We're going to pause here for a moment. Okay. John, okay, so he, this is kind of typical of ancient Greek letter. Okay, you'd have the author at the front, you'd give who it was written to, and then you'd have a little thing under it called an, called an exordium. Now here's, here's the idea, all right? Um, these phrases, like this phrase right here where we say grace and peace, um, don't gloss past that. A lot of us do this, okay, like, if you're reading through the New Testament, like, particularly if you get to Revelation, you're like, grace and peace, oh, those are nice, I want to hear about dragons. And so you just sort of shoot right past it. 
But there's something really, really powerful here. In fact, these words, if you've read through the New Testament, these should evoke something for you because they show up a lot in the writings of Paul, right? Like when, usually when Paul opens a letter, he says, all right, listen, Paul, an apostle set apart by God, don't give a thing with that, all right, to the church in you know, Corinth or Galatia. And then he'll say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, right? Like you find this over and over again, like grace and peace to you. So what's it like, why is that important right here that John is writing that? Okay, well, here's why, here, here's the thought and the action behind these little, these little words right here. I'm telling you they're really significant, okay? So to understand it, let me put it this way. Um, how many of you in, an, in a digital age have ever had a, the, the experience where, you know, you text someone or you email them and they misunderstand completely what you were saying because the tone isn't there? You know what I'm talking about? Hands up if you had that happen, right? Yeah, oh yeah, right, me too, right? So you'll be, like, be like, oh, it sure was great to see you on, on, on Friday. And they'll, be like, and they'll be like, what do you mean it was great to see me? Like, what? Why, why are you being so sarcastic right now? Which tells you a lot about them. But, um, but what is that? Well, the tone is lost. And so the fullness of the communication goes, like, it, it kind of suffers a little bit. Well, you know what? In the first century, when they wrote letters, they had the same problem. And so what they would do is they'd put these little phrases at the beginning of their letters. And what those phrases did was they told the reader the tone by which to read the book. So that is to say, like, as you're walking away from Revelation, you're like, okay, like, should I be scared? Should I have nightmares? The thing that John wants you to walk away with from Revelation is to understand that you should walk away with grace and peace. That's how this starts. Okay, well, like, what about like the Antichrist? Yeah, yeah, but understand God's still in control. Listen, you should walk away with a renewed awareness of God's grace, his faithfulness in your life, that he has forgiven you freely and justified you in Christ, and that should give you peace. Like as you're reading Revelation with all the vivid imagery, the thing that you, like the feeling that you should have with this book is not despair, is not fear, is not worry, it's grace and Peace. Pretty cool, right? All right, let's get into the actual book now. All right, so, so he says this. From him, so who's the grace and peace come from? From him who is and who was and who is to come, and that phrase we'll see again a little bit later in the significance of that. He says, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Now, a way to translate that, uh, there are a couple of schools of thought, like what's it talking about the seven spirits before the throne of God? Uh, a couple of things could be going on. Number one, could be that the seven spirits represent the seven uh, angels that are the seven churches, which will come up later in Revelation. Could be. Number two, within Hebrew thought, ancient first century, actually, Hebrew thought, um, they had a belief that, that there were seven archangels that sat around the throne of God. And so that's, that's what John might be referencing there in sort of keeping with, with Jewish thought and tradition, which, which Revelation absolutely does. Um, it, it could be, or another tr translation that works with the Greek there that I, I tend to prefer, uh, is instead of translating it seven spirits of God, the sevenfold spirit of God. And, and the reason I prefer that, like, like the idea being, seven is, is a number of completion in the Bible and, and perfection. That's why, you know, like God created the earth in seven days, that, that type of deal. It's a number typically associated with God. Um, so the idea being the sevenfold spirit of God, the perfect spirit of God around the throne, i.e. the Holy Spirit. And the reason I prefer that translation is because as we're going to see going forward, this, this text, and particularly this, this, these couple of verses, are extremely Trinitarian. You're going to see reference to the Father, you're going to see reference to the Son. It makes sense to me that the Spirit would be there. So I, I just tend to favor that, but listen, like what I'm not telling you is don't trust your English translation or whatever. No, it's probably a footnote about it in your Bible. But look, that, I mean, regardless, whatever's going on is neat. So, so, he continues, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and right now we begin to understand, okay, remember that context for, okay, listen, people are being killed for their faith, people are losing their home, they're suffering, they're being persecuted. And John goes, yeah, yeah, let me tell you who's writing to you. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
what does that mean? He, he was the one who was acquainted with suffering. He was faithful in his witness to God the Father until the end. He suffered for our sake, and yet he did not open his mouth. He endured, and on top of that, on top of that, on top of that, he is faithful to you and to me. He witnesses on our behalf. He sees what we are going through. He is faithful. He is good. He is true. He is present in our lives. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Now, we've talked about this before. Okay? Then when it comes to the Christian faith, something to understand as we're reading the whole of the Old and New Testament is that ultimately our hope is not heaven. Heaven's great. We go there when we die. But ultimately the hope of the Christian faith is the resurrection of the dead. That one day God will end death itself. And so when, like, so like, when John writes about this, he goes, listen, like, like that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, meaning just as God raised Christ from the dead, one day he will give life to your mortal body as well. Okay, so even, okay, hey, brothers and sisters, as you're, as you're going through it, as the Romans are trying to destroy you, I want you to understand that even if they kill you, it's not going to take. Why? Because Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. We will be raised as he was as well. And this last phrase I really want us to focus in on, okay? And the ruler of the kings of the earth. And this should give us pause. And the reason this should give us pause is because everything in the experience of the first century Christians would not say that Jesus was the ruler of the kings of the earth. Like typically, like we can believe that God is in control if our guy is in control, right? So like, so like we would expect, okay, if he's going to say that Jesus is actually the supreme ruler over, over kings on the earth, well, they should be Christian kings. Like they should be ones who are following the Lord. But, but the king who is, who is present at the time of the writing of Revelation is, is Caesar, who is like the furthest thing from God, right? I mean, he kills Christians for fun. So it's weird that John would say, okay, yeah, but ultimately Jesus is over him. I mean, that's odd, it's in keeping with the teachings of Jesus, right? When Jesus stands on trial before his, or for his life before Pilate, doesn't he tell Pilate to his face, you'd have no power unless my father gave it to you? Remember that? So what's going on? Here's what's going on. Ultimately, God is in control. And history only goes where he wants it to. Because he can see the perfect end for this broken creation, and he's in the process of redeeming it. And so listen, okay, listen, you've got Caesar, you've got this corrupt politician, you've got this corrupt uh, you know, overseer, and it would be easy to go, oh man, if so-and-so is in charge, that means God has lost. And, God, and John goes, no, 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 no. He only has what he's allowed. Jesus is the ruler over all of them. Now here's why I want to hammer this home with us just a little bit more. Because... We're about to follow into an election season. And here's how that narrative plays out, typically within our culture. This is, I mean, like, your, your social media feed is about to blow up with statements that will go something like this, all right? Support so-and-so, or things are going to go to hell in, in a handbasket. Right? So, like, okay, listen, support, like, support my candidate. Support this candidate. And if you don't, it's because you're uninformed and, and you don't care about people and you're not loving or what have you. And so support this person. Because if you don't, then, and people will very rarely use this language, but here's what it is, okay, then goodness will fail. Right? So, so if you're a Republican, it'll go like this. It'll go, okay, listen, whatever you do, don't vote Democrat. Because if you vote Democrat, God won't have his way in the USA. On the opposite end, 
Vote Democrat. Get Trump out. Because if you don't get Trump out, then the poor and the marginalized will be oppressed and afflicted. And those who God cares about, his little lost lambs, will suffer and, and, and die a tragic fate. Like, if you don't vote our way, then God won't have his way in the USA. But understand something. Number one, God is on the throne regardless of who is elected. You do not have to live in fear of your person getting the job. Am I saying that you don't have a responsibility to vote? No. Am I against democracy? No, I think it's the best system on the planet, human-wise. But our hope is not in earthly kings and rulers. And regardless of how things go, listen, don't for a second place the hope of your life in earthly governments because they will fail you. Why? Because they're made by flawed human beings. And when things don't go the way that you want them to, and they won't always, you can rest. Why? Because Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Nothing goes apart from his goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and love. Take that, and when you flip out, whoa, what about this policy? He's got this. He's got this. And so with that in mind, John continues, and he says this. He says, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. People are freaking out, like, well, where is God? And John goes, he loves us. Okay, but, but we're losing our houses for the faith. Yeah, he loves us. Well, but how can I know that? You can know that because the way that he reconciled himself to you. God is so pro you that the only way he could save you was to give up his life, to shed his blood for you. And he did it. That's how pro God is for you, that he's willing to bleed for you. Okay. He, he loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. We haven't been, been free from our sins by, by being particularly righteous, good people. We haven't and cannot ever earn anything from God. God owes us nothing. But he loves us and died for you and me to make us right with him. That's how great for you his love is. And this next part, he says, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. And I want to pause there too. Uh, for a couple of reasons. So he's made us to be a kingdom. And we've talked about this. Um, when you read the Gospels, it'll talk about like repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? You just find John the Baptist saying that a lot. And Jesus says it at the beginning of his ministry. That's not talking about heaven as a, diff as a different place. It's talking about the work of God on the earth. But the kingdom of God, this means the work of God on the earth. That's why like Jesus says the kingdom of God is here and he heals people. They don't die and go to heaven. Like he's talking about like I'm working the will of God on the planet. And John goes, all right, listen, he saved us to bring the will of God here on the earth and to make us priests. And I know this word right here has some religious heritage connotations that we've got to clear up. So particularly if you come from like an ecumenical background or Catholic, like you hear the phrase priest and you think clergy, right? Like you think like specific ordained minister, you think somebody who's sort of like up here, and depending on your uh, tradition, maybe like a priest is somebody who makes you right with God, whether that be through confession or communion or, or what have you, but like, okay, like up here. But here's the thing to understand is that a priest, biblically speaking, is not an elevated human being in the sense of being more godly than someone else. A priest is somebody who fills in the gap, who intercedes to God for people. 
Right, so you have, you have tribes of priests in the Old Testament, right? Like you've got the, you've got the Levites, like, like you have just whole groups of people. Like why? Because what a priest does is they represent God to a community. So they, they bring offerings, they, they pray for people, they, they offer uh, atonement. And, and, and what John is getting is here, listen, because of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus has transformed us and filled us and made us into the kingdom work of God on the planet, understand that you and I are priests. We are God's representatives to those around us. We are the light of the world, to use the words of Jesus, the salt of the earth. We are the ones that shine the glory of God. It is up to us because we have been uniquely gifted, every single one of us. Do you know that about you? That you have a unique set of gifts that only you have. And you have a unique group of people around you who need to know Christ, and you're their only light. What is that? Kingdom of priests. You are representing God to them. And, and, and so you might go, well, what does that mean? Like, do I have to be holy or something? Yeah. Yeah. And let's, let's check that, okay? Because we, we have this confusion in, in our culture where we confuse grace with permission and love with permission. And so we say, all right, listen, like, if God loves me, then it should just be I get to do whatever I want. Why? Who? Because I'm so forgiven. Yay. Well, yes, you are freely, you are freely forgiven. But that doesn't mean there's not a responsibility for that calling. You are called to be a holy people, set apart, representing God to those around you. Don't believe me? Check this out. Um, Tracy, we're going to skip to the next slide to 2 Timothy. Here's, check this out. Here's what he says. Talking about, Paul talking about God. He says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. So us, not, not apostles, not pastors, like us, meaning the body of believers. So what's he called us to? Holy life, meaning turn from our sin? Yeah. Okay, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's weird to me that we have no problem with this language right here. Of, okay, he, he saved us not because of anything we, we have done, but because of his purpose and grace. We, we go, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, and we embrace that idea. But how often do we link have a holy life with his own purpose and grace? but it's right there, right? Like, like, like we, 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 when it comes to the idea of repentance, when it comes to the idea of turning from our old way of life, because of, and the only way that we can is by God's grace, when it comes to these things, we, we tend to just minimize that because we view repentance as a to-do list. And so we go, all right, like, I'll live for God as kind of like a favor to him, but we don't understand, like, it's intrinsically linked with a decision to follow Christ. Like, if you're gonna say, I'm going to follow Jesus, what that means is that you've actually got to follow Jesus. But what happens is we emphasize only like one-time decisions. Like for, for many of us in the way that we present the gospel, it's one of these things where like we're all about getting somebody to make a decision because if we think, if we just get them to make that choice, you know, I'll, I'll get them to, to raise their hand, I'll get them to come down the aisle at camp, I'll get them to like, you know, like say, like fill out a card or whatever, then we've done our due diligence. But understand that, that grace and repentance and a holy life are intrinsically linked. It's not one or the other, it's both. It'd be kind of like, um, if you want to understand like, how badly we get off on this, and how, how like, just off track we go, um, think of it this way. A while back, my wife and I, we bought a used car. And the process by which we got a used car was we were wooed. You know, we went to this place, we, we saw the cars they had, and then a salesman came out. And he was like, I'm your buddy. I'm here for you, man. How can I help you find the car? Because I enjoy helping you. Like, what can I do for you, right? 
For us, many of us, this is our experience with conversion, right? Like, I'll go to a church and I like the thing that they say. And here comes an influential speaker who gets on stage. Oh, man, let me just get you to make the like, choice. Let me just spin it a certain way, right? So the guy comes, and, and, and you know what? We're suckers. We bought the car. So um, as, we're, as we're signing, like, the, you know, our life away, um, I'll never forget what the guy said. He goes, he goes, all right, and by the way, listen, I just want you to know, I'm not going to disappear once you buy this car. I'm going to be there for you. Like, so if you ever have any problems, like, I just want, it's important to me that you understand that, 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 that this relationship doesn't go away. And would you believe I had a hard time getting to return my calls when stuff went wrong with the car? Um, why? Because, because for him, it was all about one-time decision. It was about sign the thing. And many of us, when it comes to salvation, for us, it's about signing the thing, but we don't understand there's a life that comes after that. Okay. He's called us to live a holy life. In fact, if you take notes, I want you to write this down. And Trace, we'll, we'll bounce back one slide. Here's, here's what I want you to know, okay? It's not just about what he saves you from, but also what he saves you for. It's not just about what he saves you from. It's also about what he saves you for, and he has saved you to make you a priesthood, a kingdom people, his own, holy, set apart, that you may represent God well to those around you. Okay. Now, all that said, John continues in Revelation. Here's what he says. He says, to him, talking about God, be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He said, and now, okay, so what do we do with that? Well, look, Revelation 1-7. Look, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye, it says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So, so people go, like, where is Jesus right now? John goes, listen, when he returns, it's not going to be humble. It's not going to be like in a manger and all these people around him can miss it. No, no. When Jesus returns, everyone will see him, even those who are enemies of him, those who pierced him, meaning, meaning like the enemies of God, those who have turned their back on him, the, the kingdoms of the earth that have opposed the gospel, he, John says, will mourn because of him because they will recognize how wasted their time has been. The king reigns triumphant and no one can undo that. And so he says this, Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now this, this, uh, this phrase here, so uh, fun fact, in the Greek alphabet, the first letter is Alpha and the last letter is Omega. So, so what Jesus is saying here is this, listen, I'm the first and the last. I'm all of it from beginning to end. Well, okay, was, was, was he there on the cross? Yes. Was he there in my suffering? Yes. Was he there when things were high? Yes. Was he there when things were low? Yes. Because I am the Alpha and the Omega. I, I am the whole kitten caboodle. That's a southern phrase. Like, I am, I, am, I am all of it. Well, how can you be both? Well, because, understand something, that when it comes to time, time is created. Like, do you, do you know something about time that it's not, it's not infinite? Like, like Einstein, he did, like with his theory about relativity, he discovered that time is actually subjective. It can be experienced differently depending on your altitude. Like, time is fickle. It's mortal, okay? But, but God, who made all of it, is outside of all of it. He's bigger than all of it. So how can he be the beginning and the end? Because he's, he's bigger than all of time. Like, my friend Mike Curry, who's sitting right there, he goes, cited in all three services, Mike, I'm not just blowing smoke. But look, my, Mike, had this, I love this way that he put it. He said, all right, listen, when I think of God being outside of time, I kind of picture it like him standing back at a painting and just seeing all of it in front of him. That's a really good illustration. Like, yeah, that's exactly how God experiences all of this. Like, he can see all of it, all that ever was, all that ever will be, because he's bigger than all of it. So he just kind of said, okay, here's a little dot of ink here, here's this here, and here's how, how this flows into this, and this flows into this. He can see all of it. And I think the reason that many of us have a problem with God's faithfulness and understanding that he can be good through the storm is this, because to us, God is too small. And we think that he's somehow contained within the painting. 
Can he, can he step into it? Absolutely. He did that in Jesus. But we think, okay, like, we don't quite get, no, he can see where everything ever is going. Every last thing. And so, and so okay, I, I may have my heart broken by what I experienced here, but I know the good God who allowed me to go through it would not allow me to go through it unless it was all going somewhere good. And I know that because I know who he is, right? Because he can see the whole painting. He is the alpha and the omega. It is all before him. Okay, so, so Jesus is just as present now as he was on the cross. Do you get that? Hang on, for the one who's here today, and this week, this week you found yourself going, God, I, do you even care? Think back over your life. Think back to those times. Do you, do you remember, maybe, you were, maybe you were in church, or maybe you were praying on your own, or a Bible, but you, you, you had that experience where, God just seemed so real. And he was so there, wasn't he? Like, you were just so aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you're like, God, okay. Like, where have you gone? Do you understand he's just as much present now as he was then? In fact, he saw now when he was there then. Why? Alpha and Omega. He, he illustrates it again with the phrase that John has already used, who is and who was and who is to come. You can't kill Jesus again. He lives forever. He is the Almighty, meaning there is no one more powerful than him. And now what's going to happen in Revelation is God, God is going to take John aside and he's going to go, just step back and look at the painting with me. So he's going to, he's going to just sort of show him the, the snapshots of the whole of human history, where it's been, where it's going, where it is. He's just going to show him all of it. Like, this is where the painting goes. That's what Revelation is. It's not just a prediction about the end of the world. It's where everything is going because God is going, listen, I'm faithful through all of it. Even when everyone else loses, God wins. That's Revelation. And so John says, I, John, your brother, in, in verse 9, I, John, your brother, and companion in the suffering. Guys, companion in the suffering, I'm going through it too. And the kingdom and patient endurance, they're ours in, in Jesus. By the way, when have we ever emphasized those promises of God? <laughs> right? Oh, in Christ, I've got patient endurance. I'm not trading my sorrows. Like, you know, it's just like we don't, those aren't promises that we want. But do, do you understand? Um, and I wish this weren't the case. But there's just, have you had this experience? There's just something unique about tragedy, trauma, and pain that form us in a way that only they can. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and it's not that we enjoy those moments or that we're flippant towards them, but there's just something about going through the ringer that, that molds us in a way that only it can. And so John says, all right, listen, I was on the island of Patmos. Why? Because of the word of God. Hey, I was suffering for doing the right thing. For the one who's sitting here today, and, and, and you're weak, you're going, I, okay, I don't understand. Because, like, God, I'm doing all the right things now. So why aren't you blessing me, right? Like, okay, like, I've turned from this. I go to church now. So shouldn't you be more faithful? And shouldn't you be showing up in my life? I'm, I'm going to Bible study. And I'm, and, you know, I'm swearing less. And, and, and neat, okay? Like, that's, like, give me some pointers, pointers later. But anyway, so, like, like that's, that's, like, okay, I'm doing this, okay? Do you understand that that's not how grace works? You can't earn anything good or bad from God. 
Your relationship with God has never been predicated upon your ability to get it right. He gives what he gives freely, and the good news is, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the hardship and the suffering, he is still faithful, he is still good, he is still paying attention, because he never related to you based on what you deserved. So John says, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And we'll get into what he says to those churches next week. But there's Jesus, and he, and he speaks to John, and he goes, tell my people what I have to say. They think that I've forgotten them. I haven't. I haven't. And you might go, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm not a church. You are. You're, you are the church. Okay, well, what does that have to do with me? Like, I, like Jesus wrote that to John. Like, what, what do I take away from that? If you're going through a really difficult season right now, I believe I have a word for you, and here's what it is, based on this. God knows who you are. He knows where you are and how you are. Well, God, have you forgotten me? No, 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 he knows exactly who you are. Well, but I'm in this season. He knows where you are, like the season of life, location. He understands your circumstance and he knows how you are. He knows how you are dealing with it and going through it right now. God knows who you are, where you are, and how you are. And there's comfort in that. Got back to work this week and I got an email from a lady uh, in our church and she, she gave me permission to share this. I'm... She said, you know, listen, like the last month, because I was just curious, how's everybody been? You know? She said, uh, the last month's been really rough. She began to sort of outline, like, they, they had experienced, like, a loss in her family. They had hit financial difficulties. Like, um, and she, I mean, it was just, it was a bad situation. And she's like, Bert, I, I'm just going to tell you, I got so depressed, I, I thought about taking my own life. And in my relationship with God, I don't even want to talk to God. I don't even, like, like God is the furthest thing from my mind. Like, I'm done. I'm out. I don't understand because I was, I was doing all this stuff for him. I was trying to live and, like, it just didn't, like, it didn't matter. Because what ultimately happened was um, a couple weeks ago, my husband dragged me kicking and screaming to the Bethel concert over at the State Fair. Some of you went to that. I went. That was good. She's like, you know, I, like, He's like, we're going. She was like, I don't want to. He's like, we got tickets. We paid for them. She's like, all right, fine. We'll go. Go, right. go in. I mean, it was a past powerful night of worship. I mean, if you were there, man, at one point, I mean, De Bethel just turned Delaware charismatic. It was insane. Like, <laughs> came to this point, like, where they just started to pray for people, you know, like thousands of people in front of them, praying for healing, praying for all this stuff, like, you know, doing Jesus stuff. It was cool. And I don't know if you remember, but she, so she's, in the, she's in the audience. And at one point during the show, this dude comes running up on stage. I don't know if you were there. Isn't he? This guy comes running up. He's like, hi, everyone. He's not a musician. He goes, I'm Bethel's tour manager. And I was like, what? You know? And he goes, uh, listen, I just really feel led, um, like, that there are some people here today who are struggling with depression and thinking about suicide. So I'd like to just pray for you if that's okay. You guys remember? You were there, right? Now she's at this concert. <laughs> right? Just like, oh, that's me. Right? He's just crying, crying, like, and like, oh, God, you know. Um, 
I ran, it, I ran into her afterwards. I had no idea that any of that was going on. So she, like, she leaves, and she's like, wow, like, God was speaking to me there. Like, oh, my gosh, right? And she, and she leaves, and that week, like, she's like, man, I just turn on the bridge, like the, the radio station right now. And just every single time I turn on, it's like the song is just exactly what I needed at that moment. It was just speaking directly to my heart. And it was like God was just ministering to my heart again and again and again. And, she goes, and then I came to church last Sunday, and it was like, like God was speaking directly to me through Pastor Bob and what he was saying. Like, I needed to hear those exact words. And so God just took that and he just began to rebuild her heart and, and raise her up out of this place of depression and suicide. Why? Because God knows who you are. He knows where you are and he knows how you are. And if that's true for her, it's true for you. You. And I just get this sense that I mean, maybe we just need to pray for a reminder of that. So look, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in a season of life right now, where you're going through it and even wondering, like, God, where are you? I want you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, we seek you in this place right now. We seek you, Lord. Please begin to minister to our hearts. Um, if that's you, I want you to take a step in faith right now um, and just shoot your hand up right now. Okay, this is what I need. To, yeah, I need to hear from the Lord. I need a refreshing an awareness of his presence. If, if you would say that's you, okay, that, like you're going through it and you just need the Lord to minister to your heart, would you hold your hand up and hold it up really high? I just go ahead. All right, cool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, cool. We got you guys. All right. Here's what we're going to pray. Father, I pray for my sisters and my brothers, Lord, that you minister to them. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this moment to do only what you can do. Lord, you say in your word that you bind up the brokenhearted. It's a characteristic of your spirit. Um, hmm. So we ask you to do it. Holy Spirit, we ask you, please. Like, Jesus, <laughs> you say in your word, you are Jehovah Rapha, our healer. God, our healer. It's one of your titles, and so we ask you for healing now in Jesus' name. For the one who's carrying the burden right now, I, I just feel like, like, like just go ahead. here's what I want you just to pray out to the Lord. Right where you're seeing, I want you just to hand it over to God. I get this sense, like you're, you're trying just to carry it yourself, and you think, like, I've, got to, I've got to hold this up, because if I don't, I'll fail, and I'll fall, and things will fall apart. I want you just to give it over to God. You do not have the strength in yourself. You don't have to. Right now, he's saying, son, daughter, just, like, just give that over to him. Like You can just hand it to God. And there's no judgment there. There's no, oh, you're not strong enough, or you're not this enough. No, 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 no. It, it, like he, he longs to carry that burden for you. So go ahead, just, right now, just hand that over to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray you make them aware of you. So this would be a moment that when they look back on it, they'll go, hey, if he was with me then, he's going to be with me now. Lastly, there's one last thing I, I just want to do while we're here. If you would say um, that you've been doing life on your own, if you would say, okay, listen, like you've been trying to get through life in your own strength, uh, let me just challenge you that perhaps you don't know Jesus.
and you don't have the hope of a Savior to walk through this life with you. And so if you would say that you don't know Christ, or maybe where you are, you walked away and you want to come back, shoot your hand up for me right now. If you would say that you don't know Jesus, but you'd like to. Okay. Okay. I want you to pray with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Here's we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me and that you raised him from the dead so that I can have life with you. God, I'm trying to, to live for myself. I just can't do it anymore. Right now, I want to hand my life over to you. You do what you want with it. Please fill me with your spirit and show me how to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.